So, um, you may not be aware of the incredible difficulty that's occurring in the room. I'm keenly aware of it. It is impossible for us to talk about the cross and ignore the resurrection. You understand that, right? Jesus didn't die to die. Jesus died so we might live. And so there's a tension in the room because, you know, every good Christian, when they get together for a Good Friday service, is supposed to be somber, melancholy, and introspective. I'm going to encourage you to be introspective, but what I want to encourage you to be introspective about is going to be a little different than maybe what you're expecting when you came in tonight. So, so um, we are finishing our series on um, the, the sayings of Christ on the cross. And this is, self-admittedly, this is the sixth saying, but it seemed like it made more sense to do tonight. And it's the saying that we've already heard a number of times in music and in Scripture reading in the video that began, and it comes out of John chapter 19, verse 30, and I'll put it on the screen for those of you that you know, can't see your Bibles or don't have your Bibles, and it says this, when, when he had received the drink... And you remember that's referring to when Jesus knew that the end was near. And in order to fulfill the prophecy that needed to be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And they brought for him the, the wine vinegar, the, the sour wine. And it says so that when, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, with that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. See, even in the throes of death, it's Jesus who decided when he would die. See, that's how mighty and powerful our Jesus is. No man took Jesus' life. He willingly laid it down. So, so when we get to this point on the, on the cross, we get to this point in the crucifixion of Christ, and you have all the, the tension that's occurring around Jesus. You have the, the, the crying mobs. You have the, the chief priests and the elders who are just disgusting in their disdain for Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Think about that, mocking a dying man. That's what they did. You come to the conclusion of, of his time on the cross before he willingly gives up his spirit, and he says, it's finished. In order to, to properly understand this saying of the cross, um, it's important that you understand a little bit about the culture of the time. And so let me kind of lay some, a picture out for you. Maybe this will help. Um, in this time period... Um, and Jesus refers to it both in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18, there existed such a thing called a debtor's prison. What would occur is this, if you had an outstanding debt that you were unable to pay and, and, and your um, creditor, the one who had loaned you the money, had decided that they were going to come after you for it um, and, and you couldn't pay, they would put you away into prison until you could pay the bill. Do you see a fundamental problem with that plan? See, once you're in jail, you can't make any more money. And so really, once you're put into a debtor's prison, you're at the mercy of someone else to come along and to pay the debt for you. While you're in prison, you remain there until that, that debt is completely paid, until it's, it's paid in full, and, and your, your debt would be listed out on a, on a receipt. We'll call it a receipt. It was a long list of your, the, the charges against your account, and until all of those were settled, you were stuck in prison. When it was finally settled, either you had come up with some type of deal uh, with your creditor, or someone had mercifully come along to pay what you owed, 
uh, upon exiting the debtor's prison, and in fact, they find this even exiting any prison sentence at this time period, uh, they would take that list of either the crimes you're charged with or the, the debts that were in your account, and they would write across the top of it a form of this word that I'm going to put in front of you right now, the form of the word, tetelestai. Tetelestai. And, and, and what that word literally means, if you translate it in this form to tell us, as Jesus speaks it in John 19.30, is exactly what we find. It is finished, complete. In the context of that bill, it's paid in full. Your sentence, if you had been accused and you were in a jail sentence, it was you had served the time that was necessary for you to, to before you were released. So, so when Jesus is saying this from the cross, we need to, to wrap our heads around what is it that he is saying? What is it that he is speaking about when he says to Telestai? Well, you got to begin by understanding back in Genesis chapter 3, every single one of us in this room started a debt. And since Genesis chapter 3, it has steadily grown over time. And we haven't been able to do anything to shrink that debt. See, the debt that I'm talking about is the sin debt. From that very moment in Genesis 3 when the serpent approached Eve in the garden and said, Now, did God really say... Now, just a little uh, side note for any of you. It could be teenagers or adults. It doesn't matter. If anybody approaches you and their opening line is, Did God really say, Run. That's what Satan was trying to do, is to deceive her, and he did a fantastic job of it. Did God really say? Oh, see, the reason God said not to touch of the fruit of that tree is because he knew that if you did, you'd become just like him. And, and God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be just like him. And with that, you know the story how Eve ate the fruit, and gave to her husband, who also ate. And from that moment on, their eyes were opened, and they understood the difference between uh, good and evil, and, and sin came crashing into the perfection of what God had created. And from that moment, sin busted into the nature of all humanity, so that as every person, every human, every being who is born, is born in iniquity, if you need proof of that, simply volunteer to work in a nursery for an hour. You will know from the moment that mom leaves the room or the child has a toy that is taken from them that they want to play with, sin comes from the womb. And it continues to steadily grow. Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 12, 23 tells us that, that while we've all sinned, the punishment of that sin, the cost of that sin, the wages of that sin is death. Every single one of us deserves death. And God is a just God. And so he is going to bring about judgment on those who have sinned against him. But God is a merciful God. And God, not only um, passing judgment down in his just holiness and righteousness, he's also provided substitute for us. You see that plan all the way back at the beginning of the Old Testament in that book that none of us like to read, Leviticus? You read through the book of Leviticus and you can't get out of the first three chapters without having your mind blown with how bloody a place it had to have been around the temple, around the, the tabernacle, around the holy of holies as, and the holy place as people daily had to bring their sacrifices and their offerings to the priest. Daily. Every day. Over and over again. 
And then, then, then you fast forward to, to this moment where, where every year annually, sometime around the, the month of October, there was a special day for the, the people of Israel called the Day of Atonement. And in the Day of Atonement, they would set aside this entire day where, where the high priest, the, the ranking priest of the time, would spend all this time getting prepared for the ceremony that was going to occur. He had to wash a certain way. You can't get your kids to wash behind their ears. The high priest had to carry out this ritualistic cleansing. He had to wear a certain type of underclothing and clothing. He would have to make offerings for himself, a sin offering and a burnt offering. The sin offering for the sins that he was aware of, the burnt offering just in case he missed a few in the sin offering. And at that time, what would happen is they would choose two innocent, spotless, blemishless lambs from the flock, and they would bring them before the high priest, and they would draw lots. They would, they would cast dice is what would happen, basically, and they would say, okay, so which lamb is which? And they would go, okay, this one is the sacrifice. And so they would take this lamb, and they would bring it into the holy place where that high priest who had gone through all those ritualistic cleansings and put on all the right garments and offered all the right sacrifices and offerings for himself, he would then sacrifice and slaughter that innocent, spotless lamb. He would have to go into the Holy of Holies. It's the only time of the year anybody was ever allowed in there, and it was just him. He would enter the Holy of Holies, and he would have to sprinkle on the... Um, the, the, the coals, the exact right mix of incense so that the smoke would fill the room so there was no chance that the high priest could cast his eyes onto the presence of the glory of God that was in that place. And when that was taken care of, he would take the blood from the lamb he had sacrificed and he would sprinkle it on the altar. He would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and that was an act of cleansing the nation of Israel from their sins. It was paying the debt of the sins that they had committed. But there was a second lamb, wasn't there? That second lamb didn't get off scot-free. That second lamb, the, the high priest would come and he would lay his hands upon the head of that lamb and he would confess all of the sins of the nation of Israel. So, so that, imagine that in the country of America today. So Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for our narcissism. You would forgive us for our adultery. You would forgive us for our arrogance. You would forgive us for our lying. You would forgive us for our greed. You would forgive us for our unfaithfulness. You would forgive us for our heresy. You would forgive us for our... The list would go on for a while, wouldn't it? And upon completion of that, a man was chosen from the tribe. He would lead that lamb out into the wilderness as far away from the camp as he could. And then he would, I don't know if he would spook it. He would just be like, hey, yeah, and the lamb would run off and it would disappear into the wilderness. The man would return, he would cleanse, and the day was over. What in the world is that all about? That lamb carried away the sins of the nation of Israel. So those sins were no longer in the camp. The picture was it was being carried far away. See, see, in, in God's love for us, in God's mercy for us, in God's wonderful acts for us, what he did for us is this. He paid our sin debt in full. That lamb that was sacrificed on behalf of his people paid for the sins of all mankind, of all the Israelites. And then Jesus on the cross crying out, Tetelestai, it is finished. So, so how, how do you see that, Frank? How does it understand? Well, it's interesting. The author of Hebrews does this in chapter 10. He says, you got to understand, when you look at the picture of the priests, you get a picture of a guy who just has a rough job. I mean, you think you have a rough job, right? All of us think we have a, a tough job. Well, think about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, day after day. Notice how many times the repetition comes up in this verse. Day 
after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. And he offers the same sacrifices over and over, day after day. Oftentimes for the same person coming and confessing the same sin over and over and over again. And here's the futile part. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. See, in the Old Testament, I'm just going to give you a little little picture here for you to help you understand this. In the Old Testament, the, the offerings, the sacrifices, they were not... Uh, effective at carrying away sin forever. Think about it this way. The Old Testament believers who followed God in obedience by bringing those sacrifices were acting much like you and I do when we go to the store and buy something with a credit card. So let me paint the picture. So not, not, I know a lot of you Dave Ramsey people in here are like, credit cards? <gasps> you were to go to Best Buy and pick up a, well, let's go all out. To pretend a 70 inch screen and you'd break out the plastic. Could you leave the store with that 70 inch screen, assuming that it came up as accepted and not declined when you handed it to them? Yes. Is that television yours? Yes. Assuming you pay the bill when it's due. The Old Testament. Believers who continued to trust in the sacrificial process that God had laid out for them, what they were doing is putting their trust in the credit of God who said, this is a picture of a sacrifice that is going to be far greater than the ones you're performing right now. This is a picture of the greatest sacrifice that will be seen. And that sacrifice occurs when Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life on the cross for our sins and cried out with one of his final breaths to Telestai, it's finished. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, where it says, but when, when this high priest, talking about Jesus Christ, when this high priest had offered for, now remember, instead of again and again the same sacrifices, this is a different picture. When this high priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he didn't have to stand at the assembly line and keep doing it over and over again. No, he sat down at the right hand of God And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So so what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is he has forgiven our sin and he's paid the debt in full. Let me grab this here so I stop walking over. I'm actually driving myself nuts. I can't imagine what I'm doing to all you guys, so... The second thing you need to understand when Jesus, when, God, when Jesus cries out to Telestai, when he cries out, it is finished, what he's also saying is not only is your sin paid in full, he's also saying your guilt's been removed. It's gone. Remember the picture of that scapegoat, that one lamb that ran into the wilderness, never to be seen again, uh, carrying the, the sins of all Israel on its back? That is the picture of guilt being removed forever. Your sin debt has been paid, so you should be able to walk out of prison with Tetelestai written on the top of your receipt. But not only that, when you walk down the street and somebody comes up to you and challenges you and says, hey, 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 don't you owe Best Buy a couple hundred bucks for that 70-inch screen? Well, you can reach in your wallet and pull out a receipt that says to tell us die on it. It says, now I, my guilt's been removed. I owe nothing. Let, 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 me, let me do this. 
the enemy, Satan himself, daily accuses those who would put their trust in Jesus Christ. Do you know what he accuses them with? He accuses them with things that actually are, are kind of true. He accuses them with the list that's on that receipt, the list of sins that you owe. So, so when you bow your head to pray to God, when you bow your head to, to speak to him, then what the enemy continues to whisper over your shoulder is, man, how dare you pray? You remember how you spoke to your wife today? Do, do you remember how you took that longer look than you should have at that person who was wearing that outfit? Do, do you remember that you fudged on those numbers so you might get a couple extra bucks back in your tax return? How dare you pray? Would God actually hear you? It's easy for us to hear the whispers of the enemy and just be overwhelmed with guilt. interesting is those things that he reads over us are true and accurate. And that can be debilitating, it can be paralyzing, be overwhelming. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Where's your list? That list that he's, he's reporting back, that list that he continues to read over you, where's your list? See, if, if, if it's still in your pocket, and none of it's been paid for, then you have a reason to hear the whisper of the enemy and be completely just crumpled. But where's your list? Maybe, maybe you need to hear Colossians 2 this, morning, this evening. I'm so used to morning. Huh. You were dead in your trespasses. Don't, don't sugarcoat it. In your sins, you had no value that would count towards life. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, by canceling that receipt that had all of our sins listed out on it. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And what did he do with that receipt? He set it aside, nailing it to his cross. So the next time, believer, the next time, oh, follower of Jesus, the next time the one who has put all of their hope and trust in Christ and in Christ alone, the next time the enemy whispers in your ear about your past, about the things you've done that have failed him, about the times that you have fallen, about the times that you have stumbled and sinned repeatedly, the next time he whispers in your ear, you ask him where your receipt is. And then ask him this, isn't there something else on the top of that receipt? Because there is. Is written in the very blood of Christ, it says, to tell us I. It says it's finished. See, tonight what we come together to do is to gaze at the cross. We come to look at the one who came to redeem us, to rescue us from our sins. And as we do, I think oftentimes we end up gazing at the foot of the cross and think of its beauty and sacrifice in American terms, and then we leave thinking it's so wonderful that Jesus would do something like that for people, forgetting all the while that Jesus did that for you, forgetting all the while that you did nothing to deserve him dying on the cross for your sins. 
And so tonight, what we want to do is this. Remember that your sin debt has been paid in full, but, but, but only if you're found in Jesus. So how are you found in Jesus? It's not by giving a certain amount of money to a church. It's not by reading your Bible a certain number of times a week. Not by being baptized. Not even by going through a catechism. You're found in Jesus when you agree with God about your sin. You're found in Jesus when you get to the place in your life where where, where you can't help but confess from your heart that you're a sinner. And that no matter what you've tried to do to fix your sin, no matter what you've tried to do to bring peace between you and God, you have failed. You've piled up all those wonderful deeds in God's eyes and he keeps looking at them and saying, yeah, those are gross. How offensive to God that you would attempt to pile deeds in front of him to gain his approval when he said, my approval is yours if you trust in my son, Jesus Christ. So how are you found in Jesus? By agreeing with God about your sin and by crying out to the Savior, Jesus, save me. If you understand that your only entrance into God's presence ending as a positive is because Jesus carries you into God's presence, that's what it means to be in Jesus. So for those who are in Jesus, your sin debt has been paid in full, completely. He didn't make a down payment and ask you to try to live up to the rest of it. He paid it in full. Was Jesus' sacrifice enough? Did it cover the cost of our sin? I don't know. Come back Sunday morning, I'll let you know. See, sin didn't win. Jesus was so powerful, so mighty. His payment was so effective that not only did it cover the cost of sin, he trampled sin. It wasn't a last second shot by any imagination. He crushed it. He walked out of the tomb and he lives forever. Are you in Christ? For those of you who are in Jesus, what we want to do tonight is we want to take communion together. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to respectfully ask that you just allow us to take communion and, and sit in your seats and you know, just look at a Bible, open up the Bible and read John chapter 3. Because this is a time for us to look at a picture. Because there's nothing in these elements that's special. I promise you that. I can tell you. Here's the secret. It's grape juice and it's crackers. There's nothing magical in these elements. Instead, what the Lord's Supper is, what communion is, is God leaving us a picture. Just similar to, to as if he would leave you, if you would take your pictures out after a vacation and you would look through your pictures and you would remember the memories of, oh, I remember when we did that. Oh, I remember we did that. When you look at this picture, what you're supposed to remember is, I was a sinner and Jesus Christ came and he broke his body and he shed his blood so that I might have life. And so in a couple of moments, what's going to happen is the band's going to come. They're going to play some music for us. And, and I'm going to invite you to leave your seats. We have stations here at the front. We have a couple in the back. And, 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 and come and, and receive the elements and return to your seats. And in a few moments when, when everybody has received the elements, then I will, I'll come back up and uh, we'll, we'll take communion together. And then we're going to sing a song to remind us of what it is that we continue to, to, to look at, to ponder, to remember. Would you pray with me? Father God, I ask that you would take the bumbling words of this guy who stood up here for the last 20 minutes and that you would do something miraculous with them. Because God, my words mean nothing. 
I pray that in our time together as we look at the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, that we would be reminded of the cost of our salvation, that we would be reminded that you came for us, those who deserve it least. Lord, I pray for the one who might be here today who's not in Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would give them courage to stay in their seats. And then as they sit, as they listen, I ask, Father, that your spirit would just pick and pick and pick. That he would reveal to those people who are outside of Christ what it means to know and love Jesus. God, I pray that they would have the courage and boldness to cry out to you tonight. To accept you as their sacrifice, as their spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Father, we love you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. It's in this powerful name I pray. Amen.